0: 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 is the uh, jumping off place. It's not really <clears throat> a text in the classical sense of a text, but I'm going to use it as a point of departure today. And <laughs> I'm going to speak to you on the subject, the first step in personal revival. Now, I've been uh, I, I've been. Burden and preaching on the idea of just people getting right with the Lord. This morning, I want to talk to you about the very first step in personal revival. Question, are you where you ought to be with the Lord? I mean, cut through all the rubbish. You don't have to answer it aloud. Nobody will know but God. He already knows. Are you where you ought to be with the Lord? Not with the church, not with somebody. Are you where? Is the Lord pleased with your life, your lifestyle, your priorities, your values, your activities? Pretty powerful question. If you can't say 100% I know that I am, then here's the first step. And the first step is not one that people often think about. And yet, the first step is mentioned hundreds, hundreds of times in the Scripture. You'll find it in Second Chronicles 7, 14, which is a traditional verse that's used to talk about nations and individuals being right with the Lord, and then God heals the land, heals their lives. You're familiar with it, if my people, but now this was written specifically to Israel, And if you're going to be really honest in the way you apply a text of Scripture, this was not even written in the New Testament. This is obviously, to the children of Israel, God's chosen people. But you and I, by application, certainly qualify here. If my people, which are called by my name, people that are called Christians, believers, God's people, if they will humble themselves, humble themselves. That's the message today. And pray and seek my face and repent or turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. But you can see if you're in the third grade looking at a Bible, the first step is humble ourselves. Notice that this is something that we do. This is not something that God comes and does for us. In fact, over and over, the Bible says that humbling ourselves is our responsibility. In the New Testament, it says, humble yourselves in the hand of God. It always, the burden for humility is not what God does for us. It's what we choose one day to intentionally determined, I will humble myself. So it's not something God does for me. It's something I do for myself. To humble myself is to do battle with the sin of pride. And the sin of pride is one of the great, great sins and so rarely mentioned. The message I'm preaching today, I preached a similar outline to it back in the 1980s. And shamefully, I have to say, I don't think I preached on pride since then, a whole message. I reference it often, of course. But to preach an entire message, to just drill down on it, uh, to preach an entire message on pride has been a long time. And yet, there's not a sin that needs to be preached on more. I would, if I did a poll in here, I'd bet there's a large number of people never heard one message in your whole life. There was an entire message that gave an explanation, and exposition of pride. To humble ourselves is to take on this demon activity of pride and to do battle with it. Let me give you a definition of pride. Pride is an attitude of independence from God. That's the definition I like the best. It is independence from God. I can live with God or I can live without God. It doesn't matter. I can get along okay without Him. We know it also involves attitudes like arrogance. That's pride. Haughtiness. A person who is conceited. An exaggerated view of one's self-importance, all of those are manifestations and demonstrations of pride. However, ultimately and at its core, pride is an attitude of independence, not from other people, but from God himself. I'll give you a couple of tests to see if you're a proud person. Do you pray regularly? Do you pray regularly? You say, how is that related to pride? Well, if people say, you know, I just don't feel the need. I don't have any burden to pray. Mm -hmm. That's called independence from God. I'm not living in this conscious awareness that I, in fact, need the Lord. Second test might be, am I consciously grateful? Am I consciously grateful? Do I wake up or am I aware at some point during the day Hey, you know what? All of this comes from the Lord. Write a verse down there somewhere uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And the verse says this, what do you have that you were not given? What do you have that you were not given? In other words, everything that we have is given by God to us. God is giving me life this morning as I stand here and you. He gives me breath. He gives me mental ability, sanity, if you will. Everything that I have is a gift of God directly or indirectly. And to not live in the awareness of that is to be proud, is to take credit myself. Another test would be, do I consider myself uh, superior to other people's? Do I esteem myself more highly than I ought? Am I one of those people who kind of look down on folks and, uh, you know, he's dumb, or why did she do that, or a judgmental, critical spirit of other people. He's stupid, I hear people say. Oh, my, what an indictment. What an arrogance that I would, that I would reference things like that. That's pride. Now, pride is not having a wholesome self-image. Pride is not having self-confidence. You can have that and not have sinful pride. That's a a different type of thing altogether. In fact, I hear Christians try to be falsely humble, and it's a turnoff as well, isn't it? You know, uh, one of the common things you hear around the Baptist church is, well, we're just sinners saved by grace. Now, I understand there is a truth in that that we all are sinners by nature and we're saved by the grace of God. But do you know, once you get to the epistles in the New Testament, you never hear that again? You never hear that. Do you know what the New Testament calls us? 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Just note that somewhere there. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, We are the righteousness of God in Him. Now, why would you want to say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace? When the Bible says, I am the righteousness of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? that, That deserved an amen that I didn't get. But it is so true. I am the righteousness of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. He put his righteousness on me. And I don't have to go around my head down, oh, I'm just an old sinner. No, God has made me his child. Pride is not wanting to look your best when you appear in public, for example. The woman says, I don't go out without my makeup. I'm glad she doesn't. That's, that's, a boon, that's a boon, isn't it? And I put on my best suit and I dressed up to come to church. That's not a sinful pride. I want to present myself in the best light possible. Pride, humility really... Is or, or, uh, humility is not thinking too much of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. That's that's a good statement. Humility is not thinking too much of yourself. It's not thinking about yourself at all. It's the Lord Jesus taking the basin of water and getting on his knees and washing the disciples' feet. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was trying to teach them a principle that they so desperately needed. There are a number of symptoms of pride. When I get irritated, when somebody else corrects me or contradicts me, then that might be a sign of pride. When I accept praise for things that I don't, didn't have anything to do with it, that might be a sign of pride in my life. For example, here's a girl. She's a beautiful, beautiful girl. And boy, she becomes very, very arrogant, very proud of it, very conceited. Well, I want to tell you, honey, you didn't have a thing in the world to do with it. That was genetic. That was of God. If God granted you that gift, that's wonderful. Thank him for it. But don't, you don't need to take a lot of credit for something you had nothing to do with. Or someone has talent, and they can sing beautifully, or they're a great athlete. Well, God put those genes in place in your body. He granted you that. You don't have anything to be proud about. You may have developed that gift to some degree, but honestly, that was a gift of God's grace to you. A proud person refuses counsel. Nobody knows as much as they know. And on any given subject, they are not going to listen to other people who counsel them. Pride is always comparative. Somebody said that pride doesn't want more. Pride wants more than somebody else. Pride, the whole point is not how much I have, it's do I have more than my neighbor or someone else. And you know the real problem with pride? Pride is deceptive. Oh, is it deceptive. People are dying with the disease. They are absolutely consumed by it before they're even aware that they have it. Most of us would never think, I'm a proud person. But you know what? We often are. We're proud. In fact, I would say it's a universal disease. The Bible gives a a parable, the Lord Jesus, in Luke chapter 18. And he tells a story of two men who went up to the temple to pray. You're aware of that story, I'm sure. One of them was a Pharisee, a biblical authority, a scholar on the Scripture. The Pharisee, and the other is a publican a looked down upon and despised tax collector in that culture. And they go up to pray. And the publican, somebody said, he, or, the, or the Pharisee rather, he, went, he didn't go up to pray, he went up to brag. And Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this other guy. And he looked down upon him. See, there was that arrogance. He looked down upon him. I thank you that I'm not like him. And, Lord, I tithe, and I go to church, and I do all these things. And the Lord doesn't even comment about that prayer. It's as if it were never heard. And then the old publican. In the Jewish culture, people beat upon their breast when they were, when they felt condemned, when they felt like they had sinned and made a mistake. And he pounds his chest like this with his head down. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, show mercy upon me. I know there's nothing good in me. And Jesus said, one man went down to his house justified. That would be the publican. The other man went back to his house, and there was nothing there. Nothing had happened. And we don't even realize when we're proud. Some of the proudest people on the earth have never even understood that they have a problem, and the Sunday school teacher was blind to this, and she taught her little children, and she said, kids, let me tell you the story of the Pharisee and the publican, and then at the end of it, she said, aren't we glad that we're not like that Pharisee? Even in teaching the story, the pride, the seed of pride came out of that woman's mouth, You know, it is such a deceptive sin. The drunk knows he's a drunk. The thief knows he's a thief. But the proud man, the proud woman, oh, no, they don't know that. Even when confronted with it, they can't accept it. It's one of the sins I don't know that I've ever heard anybody sit down and talk to me about and say, you know what, preacher? God has really convicted me. I am a very proud person. Someone said just about the time you don't think you have any pride, guess what? You've got a brand new case of it because you're proud that you're not proud. Am I speaking to anybody in this church today? Either there's a great spirit of conviction or this is the deadest place I've ever been. Which one is it? I hope it's a spirit of conviction. I hope that somebody's saying, oh, me why did I come today? He just shot my brains right out. Because we all have to deal with the issue of pride. I would have to honestly confess to you, I'm a proud man. And I have to confess that and deal with that and push back against that. That's as much a part of my sinful nature as any other single thing that I face. Now, let me tell you five things real quickly about pride. Number one, God hates pride. God hates pride. Now, I don't, God doesn't hate people, but he hates some, some certain things in our life. Will you go to Proverbs chapter 6 with me? And I'll show you straight out of the Scripture, of course, that God hates pride. Now, somebody says God doesn't hate, God is love. That's one side of God's being, but God also hates some things. And in Proverbs chapter 6, and verse 16, it names six things that the Lord hates. These six things doth the Lord hate. Seven are an abomination to him. For the sake of time, go to verse 17, and the very first one, a proud look. These things God hates, number one. Number one on God's hate list is pride because pride rises up against God's order. Pride is rebellion against God's kingdom law, the way God wants things done, God's very being, His, the way he's set up the spiritual realm. Pride is number one on God's hate list because it sets itself against God. Go over to chapter 16, just a few chapters to the right, In your Bible, let me show you another passage that tells me what God thinks about pride today. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number five, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. An abomination to the Lord. Now that's an interesting word. I looked it up and I studied that word abomination and it has the idea of being abhorrent, of loathing, it is repugnant to God it's like if you saw a horrible sight, if you saw a, a, a the, the whole idea of that word really in the in the original language is somebody came upon a, a a dead bloating body and it's repugnant it's awful you don't even want to look at it it's just terrible you don't even want to focus on it for a moment, and that's the way God looks at our pride today, ladies and gentlemen it is a It is repugnant to the holy God of heaven that we have this attitude of independence and arrogance and and that I, I can make it on my own without you, God. In Ezekiel chapter 28 and in Isaiah chapter 14, both of those chapters deal with the fall of Satan. They deal with the entrance of sin into the universe not into the entrance, not the entrance of sin, into uh, mankind, into the human stream, but the entrance of sin into the universe before there was even any human beings on the earth. And when I read Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight and Isaiah chapter fourteen, here's the conclusion I can draw: Pride created the devil. Pride created the devil. That the devil was Originally Lucifer, one of the three archangels of, that God had created, in fact, to guard his throne, to, to hover near him, to be close to him, and uh, involved in everything that God was doing. These three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, and pride entered into the heart of one of them, Lucifer, and pride created the devil. Pride turned Lucifer into Satan. He was not Satan originally. He was Lucifer, the archangel. But pride changed him and turned him into a rebel against God. And then subsequently, pride brought ruin to the whole human race through the devil. So he tempts Adam and Eve. You know the story of Genesis 3 and the fall. And so Pride created the devil, and then the devil brought ruin to the entire human race. We read the story of the temptation back there in Genesis chapter uh, 3. And the devil goes and he saddles up to Eve and then later to Adam and Eve together, and he tempts them. Did God really say he didn't want you to eat of the fruit of that tree? Yes, he said that. And so he tempts them. Now, you listen to people talking about that, they have the idea that the, that the temptation was to eat a piece of fruit. I tell you, that had almost nothing to do with it. The temptation was not to eat the proverbial apple, though it doesn't say apple, but the temptation was not to eat a, eat a piece of fruit. The temptation was to be like God. If you eat that, you will be like God, he said. See, it was an appeal to their pride. Oh, you can be as great as God, and you can look down, and you can rule, and you can control, and everybody will be looking at you and focused upon you. And they fell into the snare of the devil because of P-R-I-D-E. The temptation was never to eat a piece of fruit. That was just the method by which the temptation was carried out. The temptation... Ladies and gentlemen, was to be like God, to put yourself on a level with Him and not be under His authority anymore. And then the second thing I would have you note number one, was God hates pride. Number two, I want you to notice that pride is the root sin, the root sin. Go with me to the book of Mark, and I'm just kind of taking you from verse to verse here because I want you to see these things today. Mark chapter 7. And I want you to look in chapter 7 and verse 21. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, and he said, For from within, within the internal part of man, out of the heart of men, he emphasizes it again, within the heart, from within proceed, and he lists these things, evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, theft, covetousness, and wickedness, and so on. And you come down to the end of verse 22 and what comes from within? Pride. Pride. So I want you to see that pride is the root sin. To use today's parlance, pride is the mother of all sin. It's the source. It's the fountain from which so many other sins spring. I was doing a little study here and not long ago, i doing some research for a message, and I came across something, I thought, what a powerful illustration. It says, if you bite into an apple and you find a worm, well, first of all, it said, if you bite into an apple and you find half a worm, might as well go ahead and eat the whole thing, hadn't you? But uh, if you bite into an apple and there's a worm, the question is, how did he get there? How did he get there? And it went on to explain what apple growers know, and I didn't. And that is that when those apple trees bloom in the spring, a moth comes down and lays a little egg in the blossom that is so beautiful on that apple tree. And then that apple grows up around that blossom, the core of the apple. And down deep inside there is hidden that little fella. And that egg hatches out in his time, and guess what? You got a little worm. And when he gets hungry enough, he'll eat his way out, and he'll come out and become another moth in time. But uh, when you're eating the apple, that's small comfort, isn't it? And you say, how did he get there? Well, he was born there. How did we get pride, the root of all sin, into our being? That little seed was there from the beginning. We inherited it from our father, Father Adam, didn't we? And down through the generations has come to us. We call it part of original sin. We were born with pride on the inside. And so it is the root of all sin to us. You think about that statement, pride is the root sin. What is the root of anger? Somebody offended my pride so often. What is the root of envy? I want what somebody else has. What is the root of hate? My pride was offended. Somebody corrected me. What is the root of strife? Why is it people can't get along? Murder. Lying. Why do people lie so often to impress other people to build up their pride. Ingratitude. I'm not thankful to God. I earned this myself. This is about me. Covetousness. You can go on and on and on. You could list a hundred different sins, and they sprang from the fact of that little root of pride that's there. You ever thought about this? There wouldn't be any peer pressure If there wasn't pride, pride is, I feel pressured to do this to please other people. There wouldn't be any peer pressure were it not for the sin of pride. Pride is at the root of so, so many of the sins that we're all susceptible to. Go back to Proverbs, if you will, chapter 13 and verse number 10. Chapter 13 and verse number 10, and I'll show you the third thing. Pride is, number one, God hates pride. Number two, pride is the root of so many other sins, almost every sin. And pride is the source of strife, number three, the source of strife. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 10, only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Behind every war, there's pride. Behind every argument, pride. Behind every divorce, I guarantee you, there's pride. Behind every church split, somebody was proud. And over and over and over we see it. Let's say you and your spouse are having a discussion I'm talking about the kind of discussion that the neighbors are listening to. I mean, it's loud and it's hot. And you know what? You say, I just don't know how we can resolve this. i tell you how. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And instead of trying to focus on winning, focus on reconciliation. You know what? I really have found out after pastoring so long. There are very few problems that are too big to solve. they are just people that are too small to work through them. There are very few problems that people couldn't solve on their own without any help from anybody else if they were just to decide, you know what, I'll humble myself, and I'm not going to have to win. I'm not going to be so... Uh, arrogant to think that I am right and everybody else is wrong. In most disagreements that I've tried to deal with in my life with people, people are not trying to solve the problem. They're trying to win. And they're going to win at any cost. And they're going to deny that they were proud in doing it. No, 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 I'm not proud. But they have failed to recognize the true nature of pride itself. God hates pride, number one. Number two, pride is the root of, I would almost say all sin, but I'll say so many sins. Number three, I would say pride is the source of strife. And then I would say, number four, pride brings shame and contempt. Look in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number two, when pride cometh then cometh shame. Then cometh shame. Go over to chapter 15 with me, if you will. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor comes is humility. Before honor, humility. Go to chapter 29 at the end of the book. Proverbs 29 and verse number 23 A man's pride shall bring him low. Boy, remember that phrase. Pride will bring you low. And then honor will uphold the humble in spirit. Now, we all want respect, don't we? Everybody wants to be esteemed. Everybody wants to be admired and and accepted and loved. But you know what? The way to get that is not to fight for that. It is, according to the Scripture, to humble ourselves. You know, I read something not long ago, and it said this. It it defined conceit. What is conceit? And it said, conceit is a disease that makes everybody sick except the fellow that has it. Makes everybody sick except the one guy that's carrying it around. He's conceited, and everybody, they just can't stand him. Now, go over to that passage I've already referenced. It's uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Will you turn there with me because I want to read it to you and show you how this fits, that pride brings shame. Pride uh, will, will bring destruction in a person's life. And we go back to this idea of Satan himself. Satan's fall from honor in heaven to shame. Here he is, Satan had honor. He's one of these three archangels, Michael, Lucifer, and uh, Gabriel. He is at the throne of God in the immediate presence of Almighty God. Now, read with me Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13. Uh, Let's go to 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? See, there's dishonor. He's fallen. He's in shame you that did weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, now read it with me, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit upon the mound of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Yet you shall be brought down to hell. To the sides of the pit. You see the problem with Satan? It was pride. It was that perpendicular pronoun there. Look in verse 13 and 14. Five times he says, I, 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 I. Over and over and over. His whole focus is himself. Pride entered into his heart. But where did it lead him? It brought him shame, it brought him contempt. It brought him down to hell, to the sides of the pit, the Bible says. Do you know where Satan is today? Satan is a fallen angel. Now, he has tremendous power. I'm not minimizing that, but you know what the Bible says? It says in the book of Corinthians that someday the saints will judge the angels. you know what that means? Satan is lower than anybody here that's a believer in Christ that he will be judged by the saints of God. Satan is fallen. He's brought down, and the thing that brought him down was what? It was his pride, his arrogance. I will be like the most high, he says. You apply that to Hitler, to Stalin. You apply that to so many people throughout history. They thought they were going to be great. They were going to rule the world. They were somebody And God brought them down in their arrogance. Number five, let me say them to you again because the repetition will help you retain them. Number one, I want you to remember this morning, God hates pride. Number two, pride is the root of so many sins. Number three, pride is the source of strife. It brings division. Wherever people are proud, there's going to be falling out. There's going to be division. There's going to be hurt feelings. Number four, pride brings shame and it brings contempt. And lastly, pride will bring destruction. Go back with me again to Proverbs now. And in the book of Proverbs, such a wealth of knowledge for us. Chapter 15, Proverbs 15 and 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Boy, you can apply that to individuals, institutions, nations. One of the things, I'm a flag waver, right winger. I love my country. But one of the things that bothers me about America is America can be very, very arrogant. America, I understand American exceptionalism, but I want to tell you something. God will not tolerate pride in people or in institutions, churches, or in individuals. He says, I'll bring you down. We see, we see the destruction of the family. We work with people and counsel with them constantly. Let me give you the best counseling you can pay for. You can go pay a hundred bucks an hour if you want from somebody in town, but nobody in town can give you better counsel on your family life than this. Humble yourself. Hmm? That deserved another amen. Y'all owe me a lot here today. I work all week to get a message like that and can't get a holy grunt. Best marriage counseling you'll ever get. Humble yourself. When you want to go after that mate, that spouse, that husband, or that wife, just pull back for a minute and stop and think, humble yourself. Is it all them? Or do you have some responsibility? Have you put yourself on too high pedestal? Pride brings financial destruction. Oh, this is the whole message. fellow said, Neighbor, my neighbors keep buying things I can't afford. And then they talk about it on Facebook. You know, Facebook brings out my message, the point. I close with this because the greatest demonstration of people's pride is called Facebook. My post this morning. Here's some great family vacation pictures from my new iPhone 10 Plus Magna that I took from inside our brand new Navigator, ninety thousand dollar SUV as we're riding, having a wonderful family time. We're going home and eating from our green egg on the patio by the new pool. By the way, my son was uh, first in his class uh, to be recruited at Harvard. His younger brother is now being recruited by the military to be the general of the Army. As soon as he finishes high school, I'd like for you to know, my wonderful kids, huh, you know why you laugh? Because everybody knows that's true, isn't it? Pride, pride, financial destruction but mostly spiritual ruin spiritual ruin first peter 5 5 and 6 god resisteth the proud but he giveth grace to the humble the pharisee and the publican went up there to the temple to pray and one went home justified forgiven Accepted in the sight of God, declared righteous by God. And the other went home just as he came. God resisteth the proud. But He gives grace. Do you know what grace is in that context right there? You say grace is unearned, and I, I know that, but let me tell you something else that grace is. Grace is the God-given ability. Grace is the God-given desire, rather, and ability to do the will of the Lord. Grace is the God-given ability and desire to do the will of the Lord. So many people don't have God's grace, and they have no desire to even do His work. If you desire to live for the Lord and be what you ought to be and serve Him, that even itself is a gift from Almighty God. Grace is the God-given desire and ability to do the will of God. Let me say here today that there's nobody beyond the grace of God. There's no one here so bad that God can't save you. And there's no one here today so good that you don't need saving. May I repeat that? There's not a person listening to me today that is so bad that God cannot save you. And there's not one here today that doesn't need God's grace and salvation. Bow your head with me if you will.